Thank you so much. That was a beautiful song. Well, welcome everybody. I'm Ron, one of the elders of this church. Tony let me preach today, which uh, every few months it keeps me studying. I love it. I, I love uh, focusing on the Word of God, and, and uh, when you, yeah, you have a couple of months to prepare instead of a week, it's so refreshing. <laughs> so, um, first of all, if you need a Bible, uh, the ushers have Bibles, put your hands up, uh, uh, and I'd grab a pen too, and you can write on the cards or whatever, but uh, we're going to go over some very important verses today jump around a little bit to make my point. So first, let's uh, open in prayer. God, I thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for this life you've given us. Thank you for the mountains. Thank you, Lord, for planning things to do your will through us. And I pray, God, that we would be encouraged and we'd be drawn to you through this service and Lord, through our lives, praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, Pastor Tony taught on hope. And I would characterize that as really focusing uh, on part one, which is uh, uh, the, the how to endure and how to persevere through trials, because life can be tough. And that's foundational, because that, that establishes the solid ground that we need to, to live on. But then hope goes to another step, and I want to add to those uh, attributes today because I think it's so important. And the things that I'm thinking of when I think of hope is action. Hope ends in action because we believe in what we're hoping in. It's a confidence. It's a thriving in life, not just surviving, not just getting through. It's thriving. It's a life of expectation. That's the life God has planned for each and every one of us. Not just you, bet. <laughs> um, so, so I want to talk about that. So I want to start with Psalm 2, 1 through 4, to kind of give you God's perspective of what is going on today in this world. Psalm 2, 1 through 4. Why are the nations in an uproar, and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart, and cast away their cords from us. This is my favorite verse. He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Isn't that a different perspective? We look around and we get fearful and anxious, and God is up there going, these people will never learn. They just don't get it. They don't get who I am. Just wait until I start doing the things that I'm going to do. And he's going to do them through us. Yes, the world is, is, is upside down. Right is wrong and wrong is right. And, and we're really seeing Ephesians 6 being worked out. And, and I think we have to remember that that this is not a physical battle, this is a spiritual battle we're in right now. And it will always be a spiritual battle. In Ephesians 6, 12 through 13, he said, Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up your full armor. So this is it. The, the battle is going on. And we simply are asked by God to keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, I was going to work one morning uh, for most of the people that go to this church. You know, I was in the fire service down in Berkeley for 27 years. So a lot of my stories are fire department stories to, to apply some of the lessons I learned. And I was going to work in, in my chief's car, and, and uh, I see a car parked on the side of the freeway just as I came into Berkeley, and there's fire coming under the, the hood, and a lady's standing there very calmly, probably 35 years old. And so I pull over in front of the car and get my extinguisher out, and I see the fire engine coming. He's, he's got to go over the overpass. He'll be there in a few minutes. So I hit the, uh, the fire, and it knocked it down. It wasn't going to put it out. So I went over to her and said... Um, do you have anything important in the car? Because I figured maybe she left her purse. She goes, oh yeah, my baby's in the back seat. <laughs> what? You know, bag of groceries, purse, not a baby. <laughs> so, so now that's not keeping the main thing the main thing. I mean, all she had to do is take the baby out. I mean, but then, the, you know, car burns, it burns. And everything turned out okay, but... It's a, remind, it's a reminder to us that our job is simply to prepare and keep thinking about what God wants from us and who He is. He will give us everything else that we need. And we have our part is not waiting for Him to come because He's already here. Our part is to tap into what He's already doing. You know, are we in the end times? I don't know. We're closer. Uh, we're not in the tribulation. It seems like it. It could be the opening stages, but what? my question is, so what if it is? What changes? What, what it changes, it simply focuses us on what God wants us to focus on, which is Him. That's it. It doesn't matter if we're at the beginning of the tribulation or, or a thousand years away from it. God's plan never changes. And so we just need to ask, are we as committed to the main thing as, as, as we should be, as God wants us to be? Because that's where we really get that enjoyment, that adventure out of life. Because God will use us way beyond our own abilities. And that's what we want. I mean, I want to see miraculous things happen. And we see him every day. And we just kind of walk by and we don't notice that he's doing things. You know, the bottom line is this. We just celebrated Christmas. Christ came. He was born to die for us. He was born to die for us. That was the purpose of him coming so that we could live for him in freedom. He takes away this nature we have so that we can have communion with him and get the most out of him. I mean, that's, that's an incredible thing. So we, we think about eternity, and last week, hope was we have eternity to look forward to. Absolutely we do. But we also have a life to live here so that more people can experience that hope in eternity. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have been chosen by God to be alive today. Not 100 years from now, not yesterday, but today. Think of that. Everyone here has been chosen by God to be alive today to carry his light. Not under a basket. We are the salt in a bitter meal of hopelessness and fear. And we are the front lines of the battle. It's nowhere else. We have been given all we need to succeed in God's plan. We don't need anything more. The time is now. The opportunity is now. It starts today. Basically, the fire is burning, and the only question is, are we going to fight it or not? So today, I want to lay out God's plan using three principles. Number one, we are fully armed to succeed, period. Number two, the power of the Holy Spirit is in us, and that's all we need. And number three, the power of Scripture works through us to keep us focused. Those three things, if we put those together, we will see things that just are, are not possible because that's what God does. So number one, we are fully armed to succeed. Let's go to 2 Peter 1, 2 through 9. 2 Peter is towards the end. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 9. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Just meditate on that. He has given us everything we need. It doesn't say, I'm, I've given you all this so you can have it in eternity. No, he goes, I've given you what you need right now. You don't need anything else. That's his part. That's a done deal. And do we really think of it as a done deal? It is. It was done on the cross, period. When we accepted him as our Savior, when we repented, we, that, that's a promise to us. So either God is a liar or we have that, period. There's no other choice. Now for our part, starting in verse 5. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, 
having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now, I could, that sounds daunting. You know, you, you, you add this moral excellence, add this self-control and godliness and kindness and love. And we're going, okay, God, you know, you, you, you're going to have to help me. But see, the thing we don't realize that he already has given us every one of those but two. Galatians 5, is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When we accept him, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So God does this on the cross, and he says, this is what I want you to do, but I'm going to give you the things that you're just not going to be able to do. So that's, that's a, again, it's a promise to us. And we don't work at it, we rest in it. There's a huge difference. Oh, I've got to be more loving. Though I've got to go try to do this. No, you, you don't, we're not going to do it on our own. It's resting before him and he changes our heart. That's how it works. So those nine, he gives us all but two. We already talked about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So the only thing that he says add that he doesn't give us as the fruit of the Holy Spirit is knowledge and perseverance. Isn't that something? And then he gives us his word. He says, this is what you need. This, this, this is, is knowledge more than intellectual knowledge, but that knowledge will turn into experiential knowledge as you use these, the Holy Spirit speaking to you through this. That's an incredible plan. And it's impossible without us, or without him. So he knows our weaknesses, but he says, I'm going to give you everything you need. And we don't conjure them up in our lives. Those are fruit. It, it is a miracle. And it is, it's like a muscle. As we exercise our muscles, our muscles get in better shape and we're healthier. It's the same thing with the fruit of the Spirit. When we start exercising the fruit of the Holy Spirit, they blossom and it becomes more real to us. So the key is not to work harder, but to rest deeper, just to soak in God's presence. And, and that's the hardest thing for us to do. Because we always think, okay, I'm going to do these 10 things for God today. I've never done them. Or I've got to do this, right? No. Start with resting. It'll end up in action. But start with empowering yourself through the Holy Spirit. You know, Marcia and I were privileged to go to uh, Israel about 15 years ago. And uh, we went with the Young Life group out of San Francisco. And it was just incredible. I remember sitting up on a cliff over the Sea of Galilee and the guide said, you know, Jesus lived his entire life within your sight right here. And it just gave me goosebumps thinking, well, that's, that's where he, the, the, he took the, the healed the, uh, the demon-possessed man and the pigs went in. And this over there is where he, he taught all these people and the fish and the loaves. And, and that's where he crossed over here to the, the Sea of Galilee. And oh my goodness. It was just things like that. You, you, you read scripture and you, you, now you have a visual picture of it. 
I think the, the biggest one was uh, Caesarea Philippi, where he, he brought the disciples uh, in Matthew 16, 18. He said, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Well, the amazing thing is that he was here, Caesarea Philippi was here, and Jerusalem was here. So he walked. It was like five miles out of the way to do this one teaching, and then he took them all to Jerusalem. And you think, well, why would he do that? Well, because there's this big cliff. It's called the Gates of Hell. And they, and, and they would have all these offerings and stuff, and there was a, a mouth of a cave, and the water would come out, and all these pagan religions would worship there. So imagine that. You know, that's how Peter would have seen it. That's how his disciples would have seen it, is that those people there, they're not going to win. The gates of hell will not prevail against my message about what I'm going to do. Wow! I mean, that changes everything. So much of the New Testament came, came alive. It just added another dimension to my faith. So I can tell you with confidence that just slowing down in your visits with Christ, and I'm talking about prayer and opening His Word, just slow down. Don't try to get through a chapter, a verse, uh, a, you know, a book. Listen. And just understanding that you, you are having a conversation with God. It's like marinating meat overnight. The juices soak in and the flavors expand. I mean, what do we like to do? Throw some salt and pepper on it, throw it on the grill, and it's done, and we're done. And we're missing out on all these flavors. Because that's we're reliant on God. We're reliant on the power of God. Unless you think you're smart enough, good enough, strong enough to do it yourself. Good luck. God's power is in us. We have what we need. We simply have to learn to let it out. And I could do an entire sermon on Ephesians 6, the full armor of God. But the point of those verses is that God provide, provides the armor. All we have to do is put it on. Think about that. We don't have to create the armor. He has already created it. So, I don't want to hear, oh, I just don't know, know enough about the Bible, or it isn't my gift. Baloney. God has given all of us what we need, period. Those things are just excuses. We all have what we need right now because the Holy Spirit is in us to do miraculous things. That's it. That's the bottom line. There's no stopping that. Once we surrender to Christ and let Him lead. And it's not a one-shot deal. We do it every day. And yeah, you will fail. But you will also succeed. And, and the whole path of life is starting to have more successes than failures. So don't focus on your failures. Focus on the successes. Let God do what He's going to do. And you will be amazed at the difference in your life. So we do have the power already the, the second point is the power of the holy spirit in us and in our church world seems so divided on one end some would say oh the holy spirit is all we need and we just sit and listen and pray and our thoughts become his thoughts our dreams are his dreams and and what god wants me to believe and live and if i feel it it must be god no reference to scripture then on the other hand you have 
No, Holy Spirit's done speaking to us. We have his word. Get over it. Don't try to add anything to it. And it hamstrings the Holy Spirit. Both are partially true. The power is somewhere where you get all those two and understanding that the power is, is in us already, that we have the gifts that we need. That's where the strength comes. In fact, we're arguing the wrong argument. That's not even a good argument. So let's go to what we know for sure about the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one, to each one, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Though you each have at least one gift for all of us. It's not for your own benefit. Isn't that something? God makes us like a giant piece of a puzzle. And he says, you, when you guys get together and just express your gifts, you're going to see this picture that you won't see without it. I love that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. 1 Peter 4.10 kind of reiterates it. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So understand that that's a promise to each and every one of us. So if you don't think you have a gift, you think God left you out, that, that's not true. It's a lie you've been telling yourself. No, we all have gifts for others, for a purpose. It just, are we expressing it? I, I remember uh, playing on a search, church uh, softball team in Napa, and we had a new guy come up, and uh, Bob Porter was his name, and uh, one of the guys was kind of coaching him, hey, don't, don't worry, you know, we're not going to worry if you make mistakes, and, you know, just have a fun time, and the guy gets up to bat, and boom, over the fence. Go, whoa. It turns out he played professional baseball. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like, do you understand? He's, he's, he's got some gifts. You don't have to teach him the basics of how to play baseball. And, and that's, I think that's a lot of us, we don't see the giftedness. You know, when we meet each other in the, in, the, in, the, in the lobby and stuff, do you think, gee, I wonder what their gift is. I wonder how it can be used to lift up our church. Because that's what it's designed for. Our gifts are designed to be used, not hidden in a closet. So the Holy Spirit showers us with gifts. He fills us with fruit yet he still is not done. In John 14, 26, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, the helper, so he helps us, has come upon you. No, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. So he helps us, he teaches us, and brings to your remembrance all that I said to you. Isn't that incredible? I mean, this is a full picture of the Holy Spirit. And this is just one 
part of the Godhead. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the world. So that power, that help, that teaching, that fruit that the Holy Spirit fills us has a point, though, that we can become His witnesses in this world. We can share the hope that we have with a hopeless world. That's the purpose of this. Does God do miracles today? Yes, He does in so many different ways. And, but what's the greatest miracle of all? Salvation. It's not healing. It's not having dreams. It's not visions. Yeah, that motivates us. That's awesome. When it ends in salvation. The point of healing and all the sign gifts are to bring people to Christ. Not just to heal. It's part of the journey to lead to the greatest miracle, which is to give the hope to the world that they and us have eternal life in the end. In the, in the end, nothing else matters. I've done a lot of counseling, which really is more mentoring and discipleship. Because if I had a magic pill to keep people married or take them out of their anxiety, their emotional and physical needs, and did not bring them closer to God, then I failed. Because that's the point. When you bring people closer to God, God does the healing. And that is something that is the most incredible thing you've ever seen. People that come in absolutely hopeless, and they leave hope-filled. What has changed? Nothing in their life but up here and in here. Wow, that is so powerful. And oh, we just have to be ready. I remember the first, when I got promoted to lieutenant, um, I, I got assigned to a downtown station, so I'm, uh, I'm thinking, oh boy, you know, I hope that uh, the first fires I go to may be a smoldering couch, maybe a garbage can in the kitchen, and you know, so you can kind of get in the, the, the rhythm of, of being in command and doing that. And, and the first one I had, just a few days after I was downtown, you know, in the middle of the night, two blocks from the station, fire coming out of every floor, second, third basement, people on the roof, people on the, the uh, sidewalk screaming at you. But you know what I learned? If you're prepared, you just go through your, your system. It doesn't matter if it's a couch or a 10-story building. Okay, this is what you're trained to do. And that's like living with God. We, he chooses who we meet and our challenges. He chooses that. All we do is train. We train and prepare. And that's resting in Him. And as we rest in Him, these, these impossible situations can come up to you and you have this confidence because you know it's not you, it's him. That's, that is fun. That is living life. That is living large. Keep the main thing the main thing. Trust in God. Love God with everything we have and share that hope with others.
Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Every time, you ever notice every time God tells us to do something, he always points to himself first. Like, be witnesses in all the world, for I will never leave you. It's always, hey, don't worry about it. I've got this. Yes, I'm going to send you on a task, but I'm going to be with you. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we have the power and tools we need to lead a fruitful life. The Holy Spirit is ours to rely upon, period, all of us. So where does the power of Scripture fit? Well, Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, avoid both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is living and active. It doesn't seem, mean that it changes. It means it applies to any society. It never changes. The application of it may come out different, but the principles never change. And 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, All Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Complete. Again, God has given us everything we need. He always says that. Yes, we don't have to look for it. Inside, physically, we have His Word. You see the power and the completeness. Not, not some scripture, not only the red letters. No, all of it. All of it can speak to us. You know, if you think about it, the church in America as a whole has failed because we've been looking at Scripture through the eyes of society instead of society through the eyes of Scripture. And these man's philosophy, these things come out, and we think, well, gee, that, that kind of makes sense. Maybe I should go along with it. But we don't take a step back and say, wait a minute, what's it really saying here? Let me give you one example. Critical race theory that, that seems to be coming out in so many different ways. and It basically says there's one race that was born with a sin nature. Think about that. that that's dangerous. Because that means that there's only one race that needs Christ on the cross. Talk about a division. We're all sinners. Yes, we all fall short of the glory of God. But God is about unity, not division. And it says, says that, that, that we are responsible for the sins of others and must pay. Oh my goodness, there is no forgiveness. Think about that. A life without forgiveness. That's why Christ came. No, we can't compromise on that. Forgiveness is forgiveness, Period. And the unforgivable sin is not of racism, it's a sin, but it's rejecting Christ. That's the unforgivable sin. And we can't have that redefined in any way. Think about that. 
In the Old Testament, it says, The Son will not be held for the sins of the Father, nor the Father the sins of the Son. The righteousness of a righteous man will be credited to him, and the guilt of an evil man will be held against him. That's how God sees us. Imagine if God had a different scale. Well, you know what? Your great-grandfather did this, so you're going to be punished for it. And your grandkids, and your kids are going to be punished for it. No, God said, you and me, that's it. I will give you freedom in spite of everything that has ever happened to you, anything that your family has done. And that includes the righteousness of your family. Great. You had parents that were super righteous and they did all the right things. Now it's your faith and it stands alone. And that is freedom. I love it. What a great plan. And, and, and the last thing that, that I don't like about that whole thing is guilt. You're guilty before you're even born. And we are, by the way. We're guilty. We're all guilty before we're born. And there's only one way out of that guilt, and that is the cross. We can't pay for it. And I'm so glad God doesn't make us pay for our sins or the sins of others. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, if we would see things as we hear things on TV and uh, we read the newspapers, see it with the cross in the background. What does that say about Jesus on the cross? And if it diminishes the cross in any way, then it's a godless philosophy, period. And that is what we're called to is talk to people that are angry and, and, and mad and, 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 and hopeless and say, this is the hope. And you can change their life. It's Jesus on the cross. It's what he's done for us. And we do it. We live it. So see our society through the lens of Scripture. The words of God and not man's. And then we become transformed and not conformed. So the conclusion is this. We have all been given the power we need from God today. We have all been blessed with the incredible Holy Spirit. And we all have Scripture to guide us, to grow us, to bring us closer to our Creator. And that is the hope of the world. Those three compressed together gives us a power that no one else can ever touch. And that is so incredibly encouraging to me that we see the world through this not through the defeat but the victories that we can have in spite of this let me end with this hebrews 6 19 this hope we have as an anchor to our soul a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil. I love that. It's an, that hope is an anchor to our soul. It keeps us going. It keeps us focused. It gives us purpose and vision for our own lives. That is what God has called us to be. And that's the opportunities we have. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. 
I thank you that you aren't limited in any way. And God, that we would learn to rest in you and live by your boundaries, not ours. God, that we would see incredible things. This little church in a little town of Incline, Lord, that we could affect the world with your hope, with your love, with your truth. Praise you, God. We lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen.